Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Behind the Mic podcast. We are here for Season 2, Episode 25. You can find us on Facebook, BTM Podcast Alex, and Twitter, BTM Podcast underscore Alex. Behind the Mic is available to download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and many more. So whichever app is your favorite, be sure to download there. We have another episode coming at you tomorrow with Paul Olden from the New York Yankees, so be sure to tune in to that. Today, voice of the Oscars, Emmys, Kennedy Center Honors, and more, Randy Thomas. Randy, how are you? Hi, thank you, Alex. I'm doing good, as well as can be expected in our home studios. (laughs) For sure. It's definitely something that's been quite the situation to adapt to. I know the early on in your time the transistor radio was something that you kind of took a liking to what were some of your earliest memories with that and how has that kind of played a role in that first building block of your career if you will Mm. well um i am old enough to be uh definitely your mom so we're talking back in the day listening to my transistor radio where there were no women on the radio they were only men but for me i thought they were just the coolest humans on earth. They got the records first before I would ever hear a record for the first time. They had it in their hands. They would tell us that they're about to play some amazing song from whatever band and they would change my life one song at a time. I was in love with the music, in love with the DJs. And it's just funny when you love something, even though you're a kid and there are no Um, examples for you to follow to even have the dream to go on and be a DJ or or something like that it just found its way to me so um, it did start with the love of my little turquoise blue transistor radio and it turned into a career pathway for me when you're starting out as a DJ that first time you get told we don't have girls here. How tough was that for you? And how did you at least attempt to work through that? Mm. Well, that's a great part of my story is that uh, not only did I not have someone to um, model myself after uh, until I had gone to New York and I listened to the first woman I had ever heard on the radio. Her name was Allison Steele on WNEW New York. And she was on the overnight shift and she was amazing. So when I went to Detroit, back to Detroit, where I was enrolled in junior college and I found my way to the radio station, when they said, we don't have girls here, I grew up with brothers and uh, playing softball, football, playing with the boys. I never, I didn't have sisters, so I was not a girly girl. So I never thought about if someone said there are no girls here, I'm like, yeah, so. (laughs) And so I pursued my passion, which was to find a way to get on the radio to play the music that I loved. And I did what they told me, didn't take it personally that they said there are no girls here. I did what they asked me to do. I showed up, I said, here's my license. I am ready to be a broadcaster. And they gave me a chance on the air. And that was really the start. You are in quite a large market, and even in a smaller market, something like voice acting or radio, it's one with not exactly a whole lot of turnover. How did you stay the course to try to power through a job that, like I said, has little to no turnover, depending on what market you're in? Mm. So 
my radio and broadcast experience uh, took me from Detroit to New York, South Florida, and Los Angeles. And it was while I was in Los Angeles at my job that was ultimately the last job on radio is when the Academy Awards found me. So um, I don't know. I just feel that I've always had big dreams of using my voice in a positive way. And I seem to have just found those opportunities along the way, finding someone that says, hey, I like the way you sound. When the gentleman who created Hooked on Phonics, teaching kids to read, said, hey, I've got this program. Will you do a commercial for it? I did. And then a week later, he called me and he said, I have a man on the program. I'm going to wipe it clean. And I now want you to be the program that teaches kids to read. So you never know where crazy opportunities in your life come your way, right? Yeah. So I throw the whether there are girls there or not out. And But somehow being on the radio on the wave in 1993, when the Oscars were looking for the first woman in history, they called me because they listened to me on the radio. And in fact, there were other women uh, DJs on this radio station and we all were called in to audition. But um, somehow I wound up with the job and it changed the trajectory of my life from being a DJ behind a microphone to then moving into live announce and doing it for major uh, broadcast award shows, the Oscars, Emmys, uh, Miss America, Democratic National Convention, Tony's, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, things like that that are pretty legendary. And it's what I do. It's what I love. But even in the time since I've become the first woman in history to do the Oscars, now I'm a 10-time Oscar announcer, I'm always so excited when I see women at stadiums doing live announce where there was never anyone for them to look up to. There was never a woman. Have you interviewed some of those women? I'd love to hear anything that you can share about that. Yeah, we had uh, back in season one, uh, we interviewed a lady named Molly Haynes, uh, who does who works with Ohio State University, but also does uh, the women's college basketball final four. Uh, so she was kind of one of the first prominent uh, women's voices that we've interviewed and she brought up a really good point in that episode saying I wish there were more women voices in this industry so there were more people for these little girls to look up to to want to be in that role and I think that's really important to understand for some people yeah I, I want to ask you so the you mentioned the Academy Awards reached out to you as opposed to you you know openly going in and auditioning from the first person perspective them reaching out to you did that kind of blindside you or kind of rolling off of that? Totally. You feel like that's kind of a testament to you never know who's listening. You never know who's watching. And um, could you kind of testify to how that worked out? That is such a great point that you're making. I love that question because I'm a big believer in manifesting the life of our dreams. I really believe that each one of us does manifest exactly what it is we need or want in our life because that's what we spend the most time thinking about. So right away, I will warn people, do not go get caught up in that loop in your head of I should have, I could have, replaying things that didn't work out and obsessing because the universe, which is where thought becomes things, 
when you think about things that upset you or made you uh, feel not very good about um, and you obsess about them, somehow the universe thinks, oh, you must want more of that. And that's what it gives you. So that's my short answer to what happened to me. I was a DJ on the radio, thought my biggest dream would be that I would become uh, someone that would interview rock stars and do some sort of a big radio show like that, that would be syndicated nationally. But then when the Oscars listened to all the women on the wave, 94-7 the wave in Los Angeles in 1993, and they invited us in to uh, audition to, for the Oscars, the reason it was kind of a crazy situation is we weren't allowed to tell anyone. No one knew that they were about to choose a woman. And in fact, once I got the job, I was told that if anyone, if I released the information to the press, that I would lose the job. And I didn't understand why. And this is in the 90s. And they said, we're afraid that if the advertisers know that a woman is announcing and not a man, they might not want to pay as much for their advertising. And I'm like, wait, I, I can't even wrap my brain around that. But that was really why they wanted to keep it secret till the first woman did the job and no one got crazy or upset. And in fact, the the way that my industry works, the on the entertainment side, on the big award show side, they're not as proactive about who they hire as they are reactive. So when I did the Oscars and I did a good enough job that it created this space where women were now going to be accepted to do big live broadcast shows, I got hired to do all the shows only because I was the only woman that was vetted at that point. But then over time, lots of women have learned how to do live announcing. And now um, there are plenty of women doing live announcing. Very few of the jobs go to me anymore. So I'm happy about that. You do the particular read or the particular audition that gets you to announce the Oscars. What was that like, that validation, if you will, that you had their vote of confidence, but most importantly, you talk about the aspect of being the first woman to announce the Oscars. Mm. Well, you know, I wish that I had realized how significant it was at the time because I was one of the first women on the radio station in the markets that I worked, um, I was kind of used to being the first woman, you know what I mean? So when I jumped from radio into television and live announcing, um, I don't know, it just, it, it felt uh, comfortable. The day that I auditioned and numerous other women had also auditioned, I think the way that I clinched the job um, was, of course, I read the words that they asked me to read. They handed me copy and I did that live from Los Angeles. It's the Academy Awards, you know, that sort of thing. But um, they asked me, how will you feel when we go live to half a billion people? And I just thought about where I came from. And that was radio, where it's you and a microphone in a room 
And when you open up the mic, you're talking to a, a small or a huge audience. It doesn't matter because we're really only talking to one person. That's how we're all taught in broadcasting. So I explained, you know, when I turn on the mic, I'm only talking to one person. So I'll be fine. And I didn't think about it that day. But when they called about 10 days later, I realized that my allaying their fears had helped them to decide that, yes, this is going to be the woman that we're going to let be the first on this major show where, you know, if she crumbles, it's going to be the worst thing ever. But, um, you know, I, I was always an athlete and uh, kind of a, a Tom girl growing up. So I like challenges. I like challenges like that. And luckily it's gone well today. I teach people how to do this. Um, and in fact, uh, I've had people that I've worked with that have wanted to go on and be sports announcers, horse racing announcers and things like that. So I think it's really cool what you do. Well, thank you for that. Now, when you're preparing for an event like the Oscars, Tonys, Emmys, those primary award shows, I'd imagine the prep could be quite meticulous, but in a good way. What is that process like? And the other thing I picked up just researching for this episode is the aspect of not knowing who might win a particular award and preparing for a situation like that. Is that something where you have to be prepared for a script for whomever wins the award or what's that whole preparation yeah, process like? We never know, we never know who's going to win. That's the whole thing. So this is what an Oscar script looks like. Okay. And then when you open it, here's your script. So all the flags are my pages that I would read live as we get into this. And so it's, yeah, it starts right at the very beginning. And um, remember that this was the show that opened with Queen. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, Maya Rudolph and Tina Fey. So where page, where this is, is where they give away an award. And I have my page. The person Maya Rudolph said in the Oscar, you know, she not the nominees are, and then she announces, and then I am handed a piece of paper to help that person uh, escort them to the stage as they're getting their Oscar. Probably the biggest thing in prep is to make sure that you can pronounce the foreign names or names that, you know, you're not really familiar with and do them well um, and do them correctly. So those are probably the the nervous moments when you're doing an Oscar is when you have to do a winter walk up for someone with a, you know, multi-syllabic name that you have never pronounced before. Uh, some of the Indian names and things like that go, you know, they, they become really uh, interesting to try to just get through it, but that's your job. So you, you work on those names. When you're doing these recordings, the portions that aren't live for the most part, you're in a studio with few to no people, especially considering the amount of the audience that will hear it. Mm -hmm. Does that help you or at least did that help you early on in your in the world of voice work in terms of being able to kind of take a deep breath and charge on and making such a recording for such a wide audience and in terms of erasing those nerves, if you will? You know, I think it's like anything once you know you've spoken your first word once you've hit your first note that you have to hit it all just sort of falls into place because the only way to get through an award show like a game is moment by moment 
you know, you've got to be in the moment with the action, what's happening, even though my lines are all written, you have to be prepared for the unexpected, such as uh, the year that um, uh, La La Land did not win. And it was, it was, um, oh, what was the movie that was up against it? Um, Moonlight, I believe. Moonlight. Yeah. So Moonlight won and it was just crazy. So those are moments you can't plan for. Uh, but luckily when you have a great director, they handle it the way they should. And, you know, I'm just on headset like the rest of the crew and we're just waiting, you know, I, I was prepared in case they wanted me to read the other winter walk up for moonlighting that I had just read for La La Land. But at that point, all the action was on the stage watching that whole crazy moment unfold. But I thought it made for great television. I thought it showed how magnanimous the producers were that said, hey, this isn't our award. Here you go, Moonlight, get up here because we were going off the air at that point. We only had like a minute left on the air. So I thought that um, that was very, uh, very cool how it all worked out in the end. Do you think it helps or just the point that it's two separate worlds in terms of going along with a live broadcast of these award shows as opposed to your work with things like Entertainment Tonight and Nightline? Do you feel like having the world of TV and multiple facets kind of helps you in that regard? Or do you think it's still just two separate worlds, kind of two separate animals, if you will? You know, I think it's all really connected and especially in the, in the presentation, like whether you're doing promos, whether it's news or, uh, or the open for a big live show, it's a projected, you know, uh, performance. And, um, like, for example, uh, when the Country Music Awards air, uh, Melissa Disney will be the big, the big show announcer, but I'll be doing the Red Carpet Awards and doing it from here, you know, from my home studio. I'm opening up the show for ABC and Lara Spencer, and I'm doing it as though I were there, you know, how exciting it is to see people coming down the red carpet, except there are no fans, Right. But at least on that particular award show um, with Darius Rucker co-hosting, they are uh, going live. Every performance will be live on stage as opposed to these Zoom performances we've become so, uh, you know, ready to see. They're actually putting bands and artists on stage like a real show. So it should be interesting. Um, yeah, so the world of live announces changed a lot as you know, sports has. So it's crazy. Who knows where we're going? It sure is. And the other thing within that that you kind of alluded to is the enthusiasm that needs to come with a moment like the red carpet, like introducing a winner of an award when it's a, in the case when it's a delayed recording and you're in a studio, what kind of steps are you taking or are you thinking through to still get that inflection across that enthusiasm for such a moment when you're in a home studio with nobody around? Right. I think that's the big key is, and having done this kind of work for many years now, and I know what it feels like to be in the room when someone wins or we're in that and what the reaction is. Um, I, I know that feeling, it's visceral. So I can duplicate it at any time 
from my home studio and just imagine, you know, the the feeling that this particular show will need, even though there's no fans. But there also is a slight adjustment. It's not really as big, big live uh, when there's no fans in the room as so it's you take it down like a hair. It's a little bit of a different performance, but essentially it's all the same. And, uh, you know, once you do this work, whether you're doing Oscars or, um, you know, or an environmental award show or, you know, an animation award show, it's all the same because your job as the announcer is to get people on stage, you know, uh, tell people who the winners are, let people know what's coming up next when we're going to a break. Um, so the, that drill is pretty much the same no matter what show you're doing. We've talked about diction, enthusiasm, things of that nature. But one part we haven't talked about is voice health. You've obviously worked some pretty notable events as we've already crossed that bridge. How important do you see voice health considering the roles that you've had but more forward, how do you try to keep your voice in prime condition? And do you, I know this is kind of mushed all into one, so my apologies for that, but do you ever go into an event kind of concerned about the potential for mishaps, either vocal or equipment? And how do you kind of work through that? And perhaps is it through something mm. like voice health? Mm. Wow. Well, you have to trust. You have to trust that everyone that's part of a show is doing their job so that the equipment is working that your headphones are working, that your mic is working, that when they call for your announce, it's going to be there, you know, so as long, and, and that's why we rehearse. Um, as far as everything else that has to do with that, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a long list of things and people that we we all have to do correctly to make a big live show work. It's like the director is in the center of the hub and we are just little spokes, but there's like a million of them. There's, you know, the spotlights and the other kind of lights and the director and the cameramen and, you know, and the, the stage managers and everything, you know, the graphics people and music and the orchestra and getting them because usually they're not even in the same building we're usually like bringing them in electronically you know digitally from another space it's crazy but everyone has to rise to the occasion and and do the best they can and if we all are working at the top of our game the result is generally a great show and i've picked up in an interview something a quote that you said that I thought was really interesting that I'd like to see if you could elaborate on being creative is everything what mm. does that phrase mean to you and how do you apply that to your own career well we're going to talk about manifesting again we're going to go back to um, creating the life of your dreams I do believe that we all have the ability to do it it's why somehow for some reason when you wanted to I don't know your aspirational story for how you got into uh, announcing but I'm sure you wanted to do it and then an opportunity presented itself was there something that was sort of happenstance it was like whoa you know. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of fun just because I was playing junior high basketball and they said, hey, you should talk to the high school and, you know, level by level. And here we are today in four, three, four years at the college level. And, you know, it's, wow. it's getting by. 
See, I would have never had the nerve that you have when I was in high school. I think I had to get way out of high school before I would have even had the nerve to stand up and because it's easy when you're a DJ, but to actually be an in-stadium sports announcer is that's a lot of nerves. Um, And don't forget, most of what I do is all pre-written for me. With sports, you've got to be able to be in the moment and know what you're talking about and informing the listeners and the viewers that are watching along with you. So um, I, I applaud you for that. But again, I do believe that when we are designing our life, which why not? Why should we let things just happen to us? Why not create the things that we want to bring into our life? And for me, that's leading a creative life. I'm a voiceover. I'm a writer. I'm a producer. Um, I'm just, I like to be creative. I like to work with creative people. I'm a part of a group of women called the She Angels. And uh, we all got together recently and we've created this nonprofit to help women who are the most underfunded entrepreneurs. And we are funding female entrepreneurs of nonprofits and we give them a $5,000 grant to help them with their uh, their dreams. And so we're supporting creativity. We are being creative in uh, in helping women achieve their dreams. And to me, that's, that's all about being creative and uh, living a creative life. Another point I picked up is you talking about the challenge of giving a TED Talk. What was that like when you found out that was going to happen? And I mean, we talk about doing voice recordings for award shows. I'm sure that was kind of a whole nother event to prepare for in and of its own, something like a TED Talk. Could you kind of speak to what that was like? Totally two different processes. When I, okay, so the um, uh, the publicist for the Oscars, Steve Rohr, is on the board of TEDx in Fargo. And I saw a post on Facebook, again, this is manifesting, right? Of him saying, hey guys, uh, when it's not Oscar time, I work with TEDx Fargo on our next big event. And uh, and I, I wrote in the thread, wow, that's amazing. I've always dreamt of doing a TEDx talk or a TED talk. And the next thing I know is he said, I've already pitched you and they want you and you have to be here in July and give it. And I was like, and that was like four weeks away or five weeks away. I was like, wait, I don't even have a TED talk. Like, (laughs) how do I do this? And he said, write your story, figure out what you want to say. And so I had, my childhood was not super happy. So it was kind of sad, but luckily he helped me take that story and make it a little more entertaining. Hopefully I lightened it up with some of the references that I had in terms of the kind of life that I led with uh, uh, moving around, shifting, you know, grandparents, parents, father, mother, all that stuff, not too unusual for uh, people, but back in the day, it was crazy. So I wrote this story and I just tried to memorize it because they don't, there is no prompter with a TED talk and there is no script that you're allowed to look at. So you have to have that story in you you step on the stage and then you've just got to, you know, perform that story or, and so that was the most terrifying thing I have ever done because I'm fine sitting in a booth and talking to half a billion people with a script in front of me and a director telling me when to talk, but to stand on a stage 
alone. It was 5,000 people in Fargo. So it felt enormous, the stage. And it's me just telling my story. And I was so afraid I'd forget it. And then I'd have to stop. And what would I do? So there was so many nerves all bundled up inside me. So I would say that is the scariest thing I've ever done. Live announces piece of cake after that. <laughs> it would be fair to say, perhaps as uncomfortable as it might be to have it phrased this way, that you've reached the level of setting an example for other women and young girls that may want to do what you're doing someday. What would you say to those that might come across this episode that are looking to maybe be in your shoes somewhere down the road? Mm, I love that. Well, um, I would say follow your dreams, really. Just... And when I, I wrote a book called Voice for Hire, it's on Amazon, it's really affordable. Um, but when I wrote the book and I would sign it, I would write, live your dream, use your voice. So that really is my message. Live your dream, empower yourself vocally. We talked about the health thing. For me, being healthy vocally is trying to avoid sugar, dairy, things that are kind of funky that aren't great for us to begin with. Um, so uh, lots of water, uh, taking supplements, exercise, meditation, if you can. There are certain things that I like to do that just support my, you know, my well-being. I have two giant Great Danes. They bring me tons of happiness and uh, walking them, you know, just really keeps me active in my Peloton and yoga and a little bit of tennis. So I'd say stay active, get out there in the, and, you know, be an athlete if you can and take care of your voice by eating properly. Um, no sodas. Sodas should not exist in your world. Um, people hate me when I say that, but really no sodas, no dairy and even orange juice, if you're feeling funky, creates phlegm. So, and if you're ever about to record something and your mouth has that dry or st sticky sound, green apples, Granny Smith apples, there is something in that sour pectin that cleans up the mouth. So when uh, I have a, you know, guest, when I was doing interviews, I'd always have green apples in the booth because you never know that and water. Yeah, mine is the 30 day rule. 30 okay. days before show is when I really go into that sort of heavy duty prep of eating clean, not like my guilty pleasure is ice cream, gelato or ice cream. That's my and So Saturday is my eat whatever you want day. And maybe that's when I'll have it. But then you have to just say no the rest of the week. So maybe if you started with, okay, on Saturday, I can have a couple of sodas, but the rest of the week, I'm not going to do it. Just see how your body feels cutting them out. Because if it's sugar sodas, that's the worst. But to me, even the diet sodas are even worse because then it's chemicals. And, yeah. you know, for me, I drink so few sodas in my life. Like if I would just have that, you know, the bottle of Coke, full, you know, full, full on Coke. I'm not going to drink diet Coke, but if I wanted that, that's what I would drink. But the more that you avoid them, my husband used to be the biggest soda freak. He has not had one. And I think about 10 years now hmm. and he Very feels better for it. Yeah. He drinks a lot of coffee though. So he sort hmm. of, you know, goes from one end to the other. Yeah. Now 
I like always closing my interviews with this question because it's deceptively simple and has gotten answers all up and down the board from the previous uh, 23 guests technically that I've had. What is the favorite part of what you do? Wow. Um, probably the performance, whatever it is that I'm doing when I'm performing. Those of us that do voiceover work from home, which is the only way to do it. And, and I do think that like you guys, you're using your voice. It's tied to being in an event stadium, but the more that you can find a way to be using your voice from home the for now, and for the foreseeable future. So if you're set up and ready to go with your, uh, with your system, I, I say, you know, work at it every day. Just go for what you want to do. And it's, it will appear. Um, I say cut things out of magazines. Cut things out that inspire you, whether it's words or pictures. And keep them around you. And, and let those inspire you. Before we bid Randy farewell, one more time. Facebook is BTM Podcast. Alex, Twitter is BTM Podcast. Underscore Alex, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Anchor, plenty of platforms for you to tune in on. And tomorrow, public address voice of the New York Yankees, Paul Olden will be on the program. And one more time, Randy Thomas, thank you so much for wanting to be a part of the program. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much, Alex. And if anyone wants to follow me on Instagram, it's Randy Thomas VO. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alex. Great speaking with you.